So good to see everybody this morning. Can we just, just stand together really, really quickly? We're going to pray in just a second. I was reminded uh, again this week through circumstance and situation just how privileged we are to be able to walk into this place and lift up holy hands and worship a God. I'm reminded this morning that I have brothers and sisters in the Ukraine who can't do that today. All over the world today, there are men and women in underground house churches or meeting in back rooms because they're unable to gather together like this to worship God. What a privilege we have. What a gift we've had. And I know the Bible says to whom much is given, much is Required, And so I want to encourage us this morning that in the midst of today, we've got a lot to give thanks for today. Amen. We have a lot to praise our God for today. We, we have a lot to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We have a lot of bringing in the praise and worship to God. We've got a lot of reasons. But the greatest reason we have is not just the freedom we have to do it. The greatest reason we have is because he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. It's why it doesn't matter whether you're in a prison cell, whether you're in an underground church, or you're sitting in these beautiful seats today. The same God is worthy of our praise today. He loves you. He's passionate for you. And he wants to come join us in this place. Where two or more are gathered, we stand in an audience of a king. His name is Jesus. The church is not about the style of music we do or the types of seats we sit in or the fashion of clothes that we wear. Church is about a gathering of people recognizing that when they come together, they stand in the presence of a king. Yes, amen. This church is about Jesus. This church is about Jesus. And so when we begin to worship today, can I encourage you to lift up your hands and lift up your voices, lift up your hearts. Not to join in just melodies and harmonies, lyrics and words, but to join in to worship a king who's worthy. Daddy, today we come before you. We lift you up. Your name is worthy. You're a great God, great and mighty is our God, great and mighty and worthy to be praised as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, we've come to give you glory. Jesus, we've come to say thank you for your love and for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your freedom, 
for your holiness, Lord God. Thank you for loving us the way that we are and changing us to be what we can't be on our own. We've come to give you glory. We've come to shout that we are free. We've come to shout that what the devil tried to take, you bought back and redeemed, Lord God. What the enemy meant for bad, my God has redeemed for his good. We've come to give you glory. We've come to give you honor. We've come to give you praise. We will not back down. We will not shut up. We will not play small. Daddy, today we've come to glorify you. Great is the Lord and worthy to be praised in the city of our God, on the mountain of his holiness. Jesus, we've come to praise you. We've come to give you the glory and the honor forever and ever. And the church of Jesus said, amen and amen. Come on, can we give a one shout of glory? Lord God, thank you for who you are. You're worthy this morning, Lord. Come on, church, let's push in and worship him together. Holy are you, Lord. Holy. You know, church, this morning it might seem like hope for your circumstance individually or hope for the state of our world is lost or dead. But the song that we're about to proclaim is that hope is very much alive. And so I don't know if you need it to speak to your spirit this morning or to encourage your heart or to settle your worried mind. But if you do, as I do, <laughs> proclaim it this morning with joy. Proclaim it with steadfast conviction. Proclaim it with your voice out loud this morning. Hope is alive. Because Jesus is alive.
healing, your hope of provision, your hope of salvation, your hope of redemption, your hope of change in us, of breakthrough, of transformation. Daddy, there's no hope but you. And so today across this room, Lord God, I, I'm praying for every person that has a need, every person who is sick that needs a breakthrough and healing, every person that, that is uh, bound in depression that needs a breakthrough of joy, every person that is caught in addiction that needs a breakthrough of freedom, every person that is without provision, Lord God, that they have a breakthrough of provision this week, Lord God. Those who don't know that their love may be embraced by your love today. Father, I thank you that our hope is not dead, our hope is not in a philosophy, an ideology, our hope isn't that we're good enough because flat out, Daddy, we know we're not. Our hope is found in the goodness of our God, that we will experience the goodness of the God of our God in the land of the living, that my Redeemer will set his feet on this land once again, and that he's working everything out for our good because he loves us. All power, all authority is yours. All power, come on, church, all power is Jesus. All power is Jesus. Jesus is the name. Come on, say the name Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the name above every name. Some of us today need to just cry out that name over the circumstance of our life. Jesus. Sometime when Peter was falling into the wind and the waves, he cried out, Jesus, and Jesus reached out a hand and picked him up. And the miracle happened. Right now, Jesus, we call on you. It is not on our goodness, Daddy. It is on yours. Our hope is in Jesus. And I thank you that you're moving right now. Holy Spirit, I thank you that there are signs and wonders right now in this place, at home, where people are watching. I thank you, God, that you're doing breakthroughs right now. And I thank you the answer that you've already added your yes and amen to the miracles. For your glory and not ours. In Jesus' name, and in faith, touching these things together, we say amen and amen. So be it. Let our God be praised throughout the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah.
Do you know one of the greatest things, the greatest weapon that you have in your world is that you don't have to accept life the way that it is? The Bible says, ask, come on, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be open. Either my God is faithful to his promise, or he's a liar. And if he's a liar, why give him your, your life? But if he's faithful, come on somebody, the greatest weapons that we have are prayer. We get to ask daddy to move. And thank God he doesn't go, well, let me see. Let me see your report card. Come on, somebody. Who's glad God doesn't check our report card before he decides whether or not we deserve a reward? Do you know what he does? He says, let me see Jesus' report card. Oh, check, 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 check. Because as Jesus is in heaven, so are we in this world. We've got a God who loves you. We've got a God who wants to bring his love to you. And he wants, we have a God whose love can give you and get you the breakthrough, the healing, the wholeness that only he can bring. I'm so glad you're here today. Because I know that God is in this room. And therefore I know that change is in this room as well. Look, if you're here, if this is your first or second time at Connect or you're joining us online, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for being our guest today. We pray you consider making this your home. We are a family here. We want to do life well. You hear me say it all the time, but church is not about a Sunday event. It's about learning to live life well together. Together. Encourage each other. Lift each other up. Pray for each other during the week. You may not even know that person in front of you. It doesn't matter. God knows. Be like, Lord, I know you know that guy in the third row, second seat in front of me. I don't know his name, but God, you know he needs something. Come on. My God is a powerful God. Well, I'm glad you're here today. I hope you are too. I hope your spirit is ready to receive today what God has for you. Can you just, as you're being seated, just take a moment to say hi to somebody around you. Give them like a fist pump or an air high five or just kind of say hello. Just take a moment. Don't let the mask fool you. I want to give a shout out to my beautiful wife who's at home this morning. She'll be here next week. We just wanted to take January and February and kind of navigate this thing a little better, if we could. We have uh, some very special things this morning before we hop into the Word. I want to just take a moment to wish our own Pastor Irene Connolly a happy birthday. We love you so much. Irene is amazing. Irene, Irene is literally one of the kindest, most compassionate people I've ever known. Truly. She's one of the most generous people I've ever met. She is sneaky funny. She is sneaky funny. She is incredibly prophetic, but she does it in such a way as like she just drops something and walks. Like she drops, she prophetically drops the mic on you and walks away, right? And you're like, what just happened here? And if you want to spend time, maybe you don't know this, but if you want to spend time with uh, Pastor Irene, ask her to go to a dog park with you. You won't talk to her because she'll be talking to all the dogs. She loves dogs. Irene, we love you. Thank you for everything you've given this church for Danielle and I. You have been a friend that has been faithful beyond measure to God and to this house. Thank you. Pastor Danielle wanted me to take a moment to give away a book that she has been talking about online for a while. 
Um, and and uh, it's, in, it's in honor of all the things we've been talking about with uh, Black History Month this month as it comes to conclusion. But uh, it's, it's a book called Conversations with God, and it's uh, two centuries of prayers from African Americans who were enslaved. These are their journals. These are their prayers. This is what was happening to them in their day and age. And it's just breakthrough. It, first of all, when you read someone else who can pray in faith when they're going through injustice, hurt, oppression, come on, somebody, it lifts you, it lifts you up. Yeah. But it also helps us understand who we are, how we've come, where we've come from as a people together. We were all slaves to sin, and now we were set free by the blood of the Lamb. Does anyone have a birthday this month? Birthday in February? And you have a birthday? Can, come on up, Pastor. Come on. Come on. Come get, come get this book. Uh, give, give, give him a hand as he's coming. He's all the way in the back. Of course, the person in the back row, right? Awesome. I'm going to toss this to you because I believe you can catch it. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. Just really, really quickly, uh, talk about another book, uh, Lent. Do you believe that Lent is next Wednesday? I know for some of you, like, I don't even know what Lent is. Look it up. Google it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of the 40 days minus Sundays that lead up to, to Easter. And I think it's so important. We, over the last couple of years, we have um, read books. Uh, the book that we've gone through is called uh, um, 40 Days of Decrease. Thank you, Pastor John. The brain fart there for a second. 40 Days of Decrease. And it just helps us day by day to kind of prepare for Easter. Because I don't know about you, but life's crazy. Sometimes I get to Easter and I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't believe it's Easter. It is the most important day of the year. I love Christmas. And it, Christmas is the greatest miracle ever. God became incarnate in flesh. But the resurrection is what Christianity is all about. And so uh, I'm going to give this book away. We're going to be reading this starting Wednesday. It's called When Faith is Forbidden. It's 40 days of, under, uh, of testimonies from the underground persecuted church and how we can actually see a world. Come on, is there a more pressing time than right now than to understand this? Anybody have a birthday in March or an anniversary in March? You have a birthday in March? Come on. I gotta, I'm going to, can I? Thank you, Shannon. Look at that. I know our lawyer is watching and going, don't throw those books. I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm sorry. Um, on a serious note, before we hop into the Word, I wanted to take a family moment this morning. And uh, I wanted to apologize and ask for forgiveness and repent for last week using a phrase, a term and a phrase when I was trying to explain how we moan and complain about certain things. That's unacceptable, it's inappropriate. And for me, it's unholy. And by using it, I feel like I didn't honor this pulpit. I didn't honor my king, and I certainly didn't honor you. For some of you, you may not even have noticed. For others, you may not have thought it's a big deal. But I know for some of us, I gave you something you had to work through this week. And there's enough to work through in life without me adding to it. And so for that, I am really sorry. And I apologize. And I too, truly stand up here and repent. And the reason I'm doing it here this morning and not in an email or on a social media post is because this is family. Yeah. 
We believe the arena of the offense should be the arena of the apology. If I did it from here, I want to say it from here. And I can't say with all good conscience, right? I can't say from this pulpit with all good conscience that repentance is not only a good thing, it's a godly thing. If when these times come up, when I've dropped the ball, when I need to repent, that I don't. And so I'm sorry. And I ask your forgiveness for that. And, and I'm here to tell you that I will do my best to honor the opportunities you give me to pastor your heart with all holiness. I love you. I love you. Yeah. And <laughs> holiness... Holiness can't be watered down. It has to be owned. It has to be owned. I don't know how to transition into a sermon from there, right? I, I, I don't. So help a brother out. But thank you for your grace. I love you. But if you are ready for the word this morning, because I am, I was, um, I told our team from, from the moment I left last week, I texted them and said, I'm going to apologize to the church. I was, I was wrong last week. I was wrong today. So I've been holding that all week. So thank you for letting me say that. But the events of this week have shaken me. I hope they have shaken you. If, since you brought your Bible, can you open with me to Matthew chapter 24? I rewrote this message this week. Like, like, like you got to be ready. I rewrote this message in the middle of this week, and Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 24, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's written by Matthew, the ex-tax collector. Come on, the mafia member got saved. That means anybody. God can change anybody. And he comes and he follows Jesus with everything he's got. And if you are looking for a title to today's message, it's Don't Get Robbed. Don't Get Robbed. I think probably as, as many of you did, I stood in shocked horror as I watched the Russian troops invade a peaceful country called a Ukraine. It's hard. It was hard for me because I love Ukraine. I've been there many times. I've, I've preached there in many churches. I've taught in Bible schools. I, I, I have Ukrainian friends. I have Ukrainian friends who have family there. We have people in our church who have family there. So this isn't something that was just a pinpoint on a dot on a map. It's personal. I was shocked. And I was awakened to the fact, to the thought, that we are certainly living in times that need our attention. That we cannot afford any longer to sleepwalk through our lives. As a church, as men and women of God, there's a clarion call for you and I no longer to be bystanders of history, but to actually be men and women, active agents of God, ambassadors of our King, who lead in the midst of history. There's a clarion call from heaven coming out to the men and women of faith and church, his kids, to become like the sons of Issachar. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 says, The sons of Issachar discerned the times. They understood the times. Come on, church. And they knew how to lead. Yeah. 
They didn't just respond. They didn't just react. Come on, has there ever been a more pressing time in the history of our world, looking over the last couple of years, where our generation, our world needs people of faith to lead? Not to survive, not just to thrive, but to lead. To speak hope and life into a generation that is unsure of what is coming next. It's time, church, for us to arise from our slumber and open our spiritual eyes and begin to see our world and the world through a kingdom perspective. Look, here's the truth. I don't know if we're in the final moments of the end times or not. I believe we are. But I know two things for sure. That the Antichrist spirit is alive and well in our world. We're seeing it everywhere, at all levels. I'm not saying that someone isn't the Antichrist. I'm saying the Antichrist spirit is alive and well in our world and manipulating the planet. And the second thing I know is that we most certainly are in labor pains of the end times. Because just a few verses before the text we're going to study, Jesus says this. How will you know when the Son of Man is coming? Uh, There will be wars and wars and rumors of wars, right? 24-6. Wars and wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise up against nation. Haven't seen that at all. There will be earthquakes and pestilence. There will be injustice, political instability. There will be problems of... uh, Does that sound familiar at all? We are in the labor pains. And it matters how we see things. Because it changes not only how we interact with the world, but how we interact with our God, with the Father, with the Son Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. I didn't say it, Jesus did. In verse 12 of that same chapter, he said, because of the increase of the wickedness in the world, the hearts of most, not some, not a few, the hearts of most will grow cold. It matters how we see things. We need to start discerning our times, not just living through them. We need to understand how to lead, not just to get to heaven. Come on, somebody. The questions that we have to wrestle with today, truly in front of us, is how are we seeing what's going on all around us? How are we seeing it? How are we discerning those times? For me, one of the most saddening moments of this week was watching and listening to those poor men and women, those poor Ukrainian men and women who were stuck in the the bomb shelters, right? The subway. Did you see them packed in like sardines? And to hear them say what they said, that like they they never expected it. Why? Why? Why were they shocked at what was happening? Because they had believed the lie that Russia was their brother. That nothing like this would ever happen to them. That this thing over there that was going on wasn't a big deal. It wouldn't affect them at all. So one after the other just said, we weren't prepared. 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 And it left their homes, their kids their future open to be robbed by the enemy. 
And the enemy has been deceiving you, manipulating you, manipulating your emotions, undercutting your relationship with God from the moment that you were born. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 11, come on, we got to put on the full armor of God every day. It's not a moment at the altar. It's a moment in the morning where we put on the armor of God. Why? Because there are schemes of the enemy. If there are schemes of the enemy, we need to learn to discern what the enemy is doing, both in our world and in the world. We need to learn to discern the times so that we can respond with wisdom to the season. Wisdom. You know, we've been talking here at this church a lot about the difference between believers and disciples. And for me, there's a huge gap in this area. Modern day believers, when it comes to discerning these type of moments, tend to ask the question, how will this affect my life? How is what's going on going to affect my life, my bank account, my job, my life, my world? What's it going to take away from me? What am I going to lose? Disciples ask this question, how can I prepare my world for my king? My king is coming. My, come on, church. My king is coming. My king is coming. My king is coming. Whether it's in my lifetime or my son's lifetime or my grandson's lifetime, my king is coming. So the real question we need to ask is while we discern the season, how do I prepare my world for my king coming? Jesus says this in Matthew 24. We're going to start in verse 37. It says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. I've got a lot to teach from this later on. Different day. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Unlike that day and age, we have a world that can know something because Jesus left his church to tell them. Two men, this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Did you notice that it said, one will be taken, one will be left? That both of them were in the field. Both of them were working. So what does that mean for you and I? It cannot be work then that determines whether we go to heaven or not. Because it did not say one was working better, one was grinding harder. It simply said one was in the, two were in the field, one was taken, one was not. Two were grinding, one was taken, one was not. We cannot be saved by what we do. Then how can we be saved? Only by what we do with Jesus Christ. It has never been through our work. It is only his work. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 10 says, I've been saved by grace, the free gift of God, through faith. It means I've got to receive it and apply it into my life. Not by any work that I can do, lest I boast about myself. I was not saved by works, but I am God's workmanship, created to do the works of God and walk them out until he comes. Come on, church. We are not saved by works, but we are saved to do good works. And we need to be working, come on, just like they were until he comes. And if we, come on, and if Jesus is coming back, how many of us can say amen that there's a lot of work to do? That's why we need to discern. 
how we see things matters. Jesus goes on and says this. Therefore, since everything I've said to you is true. That's what that means. Everything before is true. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know the day the Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. Underline this. Kept watch and would not have let his house be robbed. If he had known. If he had stood watch, then his house would not have been robbed. If he had watched. If he had known. If he was alert. If he had discerned. It begs the question, doesn't it? Like, how do I watch? How do I keep watch? What's going to be robbed? What can be robbed from me? How do I keep from being robbed? I hope that's what's echoing in your heart today. My first encouragement this morning is simply this. What we started with, we can no longer sleepwalk through life. We can't sleepwalk through life spiritually. I'm so grateful and so thankful for my wife, who has constantly and continually through the years wiped the spiritual eye boogies out of my eyes. Come on, somebody. Just keep wiping them out through her prophetic voice. Keep telling me, Kyle, you got to discern. you got to see. You've got to change the way you're looking at life. Look around you. This is why we've changed the way that we do church. Yeah. Yeah. Because the spiritual eye boogies had to come out. I, 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 growing up, I had a friend who slept walk. He was a sleepwalker. Dude, that's freaky, by the way. Because when someone sleepwalks, they're, they're doing actions, but without conscious decisions. It's, it's actually subconsciously, it's what lies beneath that determines their actions. And, and what's really weird, by the way, is like a lot of times, almost, you can read this all over, so many times people who sleepwalk, they all end up at the refrigerator. It's weird. But come on, we're all led by our stomachs, aren't we? For us, though, spiritually, that's what happens when we allow our human nature our natural selves, our unfiltered emotions, our unrestrained passions to guide us through the seasons of life, whether they're good seasons or bad seasons. When I'm led by my stomach, when I'm led by my, by my gut, what my gut says, I, I just feel like, you know what, Pastor, I just feel like. Do you know how dangerous I just feel like is? To be led by my gut the danger in that, my friends, when we're trying to discern what's going on in the times, is that it produces an egocentric perspective. Yeah. How do I feel about how this will affect my life? How do I feel about how this will affect my life? How do I feel about it? And then we choose our response from that perspective. But the Bible says the word, the word, the word tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, let us not sleep like others do, but let us keep watch and be sober. That word sober means to see things clearly without distortion, to not allow any kind of outside force, come on somebody, outside force to distort the way that you see life. It says keep watch. How do I keep watch? I'm so glad the Bible tells us. In Proverbs 2, 2, Solomon, all of his wisdom says, Incline your ear 
to wisdom. Incline your ear not to CNN, not to Fox, not to your political party, not to your background, not to your dysfunction, not to your pain. Incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart. That means make a conscious choice to get understanding. We got to go after it. We need a kingdom perspective, not a political party perspective. Not a generational norms perspective. Not my culture of origin perspective. Do you realize that all of those things have been distorted by the God of this age? There is not one, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on or what your political ideology is. There is not one political ideology that has not been tainted by the God of this age. That's what the Bible says. You're going to go, you're going to die on a hill for your political party rather than stand on a hill for someone who died on a hill for you? We need wisdom. Wisdom is learning how to apply God's truth into the seasons of my life and see my season through it. Discern it from God's perspective and then learn how to apply God's perspective into my daily choice. I was so sad in this week. I was so sad, and maybe you heard this from a commentator who actually said, it's not happening to us, so it shouldn't concern us. Not only is that such a small worldview and selfish at the core, but that's not how a disciple sees life. A disciple does not start, come on, does not start with where can I find myself in the plot of the story And then decide, figure out what my next move is. A disciple starts with where is Jesus in the story and where is he moving. A disciple doesn't start with where do I see myself in the story and then decide my move. A disciple says, where is Jesus in this? Where is Jesus moving in this? And how can I follow him? Because that's what discipleship is. Christianity is not about sitting in a seat. It's not about a belief system, an ideology, or a theology. It is about following a person and following Jesus Christ in a real way, in a real world, with a real God, with real faith, with real choices. Jesus said in Matthew 16, before this, verse 24, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny self. Pick up a cross, which means it's going to be hard. And follow me. Follow me. Jesus, my friends, is active. He's not just passively sitting in heaven. Jesus is active in our world. He's active in our marriages. He's active in our relationships. He's active in our marketplace. We just have to look for him and know that he's inviting us to join him in his movement. When when the woman, when, when, when the woman who was caught in adultery was thrown before Jesus... Did he just sit back and let her be judged? No. He rose up and spoke truth into that moment and brought freedom. When the crowd tried to keep Jesus from raising the girl from the dead, did he just sit back and say, well, I understand your read on the situation. I don't want to offend you. No. He brought the supernatural power and authority of heaven into that moment. When the religious people were keeping people from being able to receive forgiveness in the temple by selling them tainted animals. Did Jesus just sit back and say, well, it doesn't really apply to me. I don't need forgiveness. 
Not really my thing. I'm okay. It doesn't have anything to do with me. He rose up. Something rose up inside of him, and he flipped those tables over with a whip. He was not nice. He was not sit back and let it all happen. He was not let their truth be their truth. Just take care of yourself just so I'm happy. It's not hurting me. He saw from a kingdom perspective, and he moved with a kingdom perspective. We need a kingdom perspective, my friends. The truth is Jesus said, watch. That Greek word to watch means to be alert and to be vigilant towards danger. To be vigilant towards danger. In the Greek, it's a Greek active imperative verb. That means active means it's constantly going on. And imperative means it's a command. Jesus didn't suggest that his children should watch. He is telling us to be ever watchful. To keep an eye on what is near to us and beyond us. Near to us and beyond us. This phrase is used so often in its majority of time for keeping watch at night. Keeping a watch over an enemy, out for an enemy. It's almost always used in terms of protecting others. We see this. Remember, remember when Jesus gets born and the angel shows up to the shepherds? What were they doing? Watching over their flocks by night. It means in the darkness, we need to learn to discern our environment. To discern between darkness and light. Between what is Christ's and the Antichrist's. Between what is holy and what makes me happy. Over what is the king's and what is the usurper's. We have to learn to discern. But the issue is, and it happens to all of us, it happens to me. I have to fight this just like you do. Because our natural humanity lives in the gray so often. It's hard to discern what is light and what is truly darkness. We live in the gray. Come on, we all know this truth. Like from kindergarten, do you remember in kindergarten? If you took red and yellow, it made orange. Good, like two people knew that's good. <laughs> red and yellow, like when you just had red and yellow and they were distinct, you knew what color they were. But when you mixed them together, come on somebody, it was hard to discern the difference. It's hard to discern the truth, my friends, when we tend to judge the goodness of our life from the place of uttermost darkness rather than uttermost holy light. That's the ploy, a scheme of the enemy. He tells us to judge your life based off of where you stand off the uttermost darkness that could be. It's why we say things like this. I mean, I didn't kill anybody. Yeah, yeah, but did you love them like a brother? Holy light. I mean, I, I, I didn't say everything I could have said about them. I mean, trust me, I could have said way more than I did. Right, but did you speak life about them? Did you encourage them? Did you honor their name by what came out of your mouth? Well, I mean, it's not hurting anyone but myself. Right, but are you living in holiness in yourself? I'm a good dad. I don't do X, Y, Z. Yeah, yeah, but do we, do we father our family like the way our father fathers us? Well, Putin isn't hurting me. Right. But is justice rolling like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream? 
Holiness, Christianity, discipleship isn't based on what we shouldn't do to people, but what we should. It requires discernment. What demands grace and what demands correction? What requires patience and what requires response? How do I love my friend and still not approve of their actions? How do I see something going on in the world that may not immediately affect me, but I know it speaks something about my king and has consequences beyond me? How do I respond? It requires discernment. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 12, 29, that you can't rob a strong man's house, come on, until you bind up the strong man. We can't rob a strong man's house until we bind up the strong man. My friends, we can't, we can't bind up the strong man if we don't even know what the strong man looks like. If we're not even watching for a strong man. If we're just living in the deceit and the deception and the manipulation, everything's fine. This world is my brother. Nothing like that will happen to me. But the Bible says something completely different. The Bible tells us that we will either plunder the strong man's territory or the strong man will plunder ours. Right. That's why the truth is, my friends, we need the Holy Spirit. We need, the, we need to be praying in the Spirit. We need baptism in the Spirit. We need prayer. We need to hear the voice of God because I've got too many voices in my head, come on, that aren't God. I need to hear the voice. I need to lean my ear into His voice. I need to lean my ear into the nudging of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this this week in Ford's Men. If you've never been there, it's a special edition. Come this week. I promise you it's going to help you understand how to discern. We've got to lean into the Holy Spirit. We've got to actually to get into the word. The word is the inerrant word of God. It is God breathed. It is perfect. It is timeless. It does not change like sinking sand. It does not change from culture to culture to culture. It is now and forever the truth of God. God says heaven and earth will pass away but not one iota of my word will pass away. It doesn't change. Why do we need that? Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, my heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? One of the worst things that our generation has ever told us is just follow your heart. And to just follow your heart. No! Please don't do that. Follow your heart. No! Here's the good news. I don't need to follow my heart. John 16, verse 13, Jesus said, I'll give you my spirit. And the same spirit that is in me will be in you, and he will lead you into all truth. He will lead you into things that are yet to come. Good. Yeah. He will help you to discern and see life right. right. The danger is, my friends, spiritual sleepwalking is what robs our life. It robs our house. It robs our world. Because there are things that will get taken away from all of us that we don't even know we're missing. Worse than that, they get taken away from God. They rob him of the opportunities for joy, for pleasure, to show himself to his people, to reveal his love to the world through the glorious display of his church. Through grace and kindness, tangible feet and hands and love, robs him. When our hearts grow cold, 
when our world is about just me first, we rob God. We're binding up the wrong strong man. We're binding up the wrong strong man. But I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit. We're binding up the wrong strong man. Well, I'm not sure about the word, how it affect my, we're binding up the wrong strong man. And our world will end up like some of those in the Ukraine who thought it would never happen to us. And we will end up in persecution. I'm not a doomsayer. You know me. I'm Tigger, dude. <laughs> but I have to tell you the truth. America is not exempt from the Great Tribulation. Democracy, capitalism, or not. doesn't matter who's in the White House. Persecution is your future. Whether it's yours, your kids, or your grandkids, it's coming. And the question is this. Truly, when there's no Bible to read, when there's no sermons to encourage you, when there's no podcasts to download, do we know enough of the Bible to keep our heart aflame for the King? Do we know enough of the Word of God inside of us to encourage those who are being persecuted with us? That's the danger. When we sleepwalk through life, we end up surrendering to the lie that we all have our own truth. Just live out your own truth. Your truth is as valued as my truth until the truth we believe in becomes illegal, becomes a hate crime. But here's the truth about truth. Truth is not subjective. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus proudly stood up and said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and I'm the only way to get to the Father. There are not many roads to God. There's one. His name is Jesus. And when he came, the word says he brought grace and truth with him. So if we want to understand the word world, we need to understand him. When we sleepwalk, my friends, we end up robbed of opportunities for peace. Because in our modern world, we have begun to believe in Christianity that my peace and my happiness are intricately tied together. Therefore, the more that he blesses me, the more happy I'll be and the more peace will come into my life. Awesome. What happens when life doesn't look or feel good any longer? Do we still have enough faith inside of us to believe that our God is good and working out everything for our good, even when that good looks like a beheading? Because that's the reality for people around the world today. Do we have enough faith inside us to believe that good looks like persecution, looks like prison time, looks like people not accepting us, judging us, hating us? That's why we need to wake up and discern the times. These are not doom prognications. This is a faith pronouncement. Because ultimately, my friends, when we sleepwalk, we rob God. He loves it when people come to him and give him their lives. He loves when his church shares the good news. His children share the good news with people. And they turn around and accept the gift of heaven. The Bible says all of heaven begins to party. He loves. We rob him of the pleasure of walking through life with his kids. 
My God takes pleasure in walking through the mountaintop experiences as well as the Death Valley experiences with you. Yeah. We rob him when we don't lift up his son and glorify his son. He loves to glorify Jesus. He loves to lift him up. He loves it so much he lifted him up over all of creation. When we sleepwalk, we miss these opportunities. And sometimes in life, we don't even notice something is missing that should be there because we weren't watching for it. Like the pandemic is a great example of this. So many of us didn't notice that there were things missing for a long time in our life until we started to realize that there was a void and something wasn't filling it. And then we realized, man, I really missed this and I missed that. I missed this thing. We started to want it again. But love doesn't work that way. Love works differently. You notice when love isn't present. You notice when something you love is absent. Many of you know, a few weeks ago, my dog, Louie, my best buddy, uh, he died. I see him everywhere. From the moment I wake in the morning, I feel his absence. When I go home and I drive down the driveway, I look for his presence. When you love something, you know it's when it's not there. When you love something, you long to see it. You long to be with it. You wrap your life around it. You know when something you love is missing. It's why, my friends, in this season, we have to learn to discern our assignment. All of us have an assignment. And, and our assignment is not just to be happy or, or to do our own thing and hope God blesses us or, or to be blessed by the best or go to the coolest church. Our assignment is simple. It's wrapped up in two things. Love God with everything you've got. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said everything else in all the Bible. You want to know what the Bible is about? I can tell you in two, word, in two phrases. Love God with everything and love your neighbor with yourself. If something, if somehow, if I'm not stirred by what's going on in Ukraine, maybe I'm not loving my brother. Maybe the love is missing. If I can go day after day after day without actually spending time with my king, Maybe the love is missing. And if you're asking the question, who is my neighbor so that I can love them? I mean, after all, is really Ukraine my neighbor? I mean, they're, they're not even on my continent. They, they're not, I don't know anyone there. I, I'm not from that cultural background. I mean, they're from a completely different place than I am. Jesus answered that question like this. He told a parable in Luke chapter 10. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said a man was traveling and he got robbed. He got beaten up so bad that he was left by the side of the road dying. Jesus said a priest sees him, walks by on the other side of the road. A Levite Another godly person comes up, sees the man in the same condition, walks on the other side of the road and walks by. Jesus is saying the, quote, good people 
The religious people did not discern the moment correctly. They didn't understand the assignment God had put on their life. It wasn't about what they shouldn't have been doing to people. It's how they should have been seeing people differently. So God, Jesus uses the lowest form of person to the Jewish elite, a Samaritan. He says, this person that you think the least about, when he came walking by, even though that man wasn't his relative, that man didn't share his background, that man may have not had the same politics, that man may have not been living out the same truth, that man may have not been from the same block, that man may have not been from the same culture, that man he saw as his neighbor. He, he moved with compassion, bound up his wounds, put him on his own donkey, took the time to get him help and wholeness, paid for it himself, used his own resource to bless somebody else. Jesus said that's what a neighbor was. The Samaritan understood the assignment. The truth is, my friends, when we don't watch and discern our times, what gets robbed is love. What gets robbed is love. Our passionate love for our Savior is in danger of growing cold. When we sleep all through this life called Christianity. The love that people who he loves in this world, feeling loved, get robbed. Because the church is more interested in being blessed than being a blessing. It's filled with believers who are only asking, how does this apply to my life or affect my life, rather than how can I prepare my world for the coming of my king? How can I love God and love my neighbor with everything I've got? Because to be honest, nothing else really matters. I asked some of the guys this week this. Have you asked the question, church? If you've grown up in church for a while, you'll know where I'm coming from. Church, if you ask yourself this question that what happens if there's no rapture first? If Jesus doesn't come back and take the church out before there's a tribulation, are we prepared? Are you prepared for what that world is going to look like? Have we prepared our lives, our kiddos, our church, our community for what the world says will happen? When the four horsemen are released, conquest, war, famine, death, when the seals in heaven are broken and judgment is poured out, are we ready for the pestilence? Are we ready for the death? Are we ready for the persecution on people of faith? Are we ready for when you call in the name of the Lord, your head is beheaded? Are you ready? Because that's not a far-off reality for many people on this earth. There were more people persecuted for the cause of Christ in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined. We are not in the decrease of tribulation, but the increase of it just because it hasn't touched you here. And wearing a mask is not tribulation, folks. It ain't the mark of the beast. No one made you worship, right? Deny Jesus and worship Moderna when you got your shot. All that is distraction and garbage. There is a real antichrist spirit that is really trying to bring destruction to your kids, rob your families, rob your future, rob your coworkers, rob your, rob your neighbors of the hope of Jesus Christ. 
Do we have extra food to share? Extra toilet paper to give away? Extra cash if the banks go down? To help someone else who's in need? We're going to do that as a church. I'm just telling you right now. That's why we're transforming some of our building into a warehouse so that we can start preparing. Whether it is a immediate, whether it's a small tribulation, come on somebody, or the, or the big T, the small, come on, the small T or the big T, I want to be ready. Let me ask you this. What happens if the church is taken out and then there's a tribulation? Have we prepared our friends and our coworkers? Have we sown the seeds of the gospel so that if there is no church to tell them, they will still have the gospel planted inside of them so that down deep inside, when they are going through it, they know there's still hope because if there's no one to tell them, how will they know? We cannot wait until we're gone to tell someone we love them. Jesus is coming back. I'm almost done. But I had this on my heart. I just needed to say it. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is the only hope we've got. It's not NATO, the UN, come on somebody. It's not nuclear warheads. It is not the army, the military, or the right political party. The only hope you and I have is Jesus. Because at the end of the days, he's the only one. The Bible says all the armies of the earth will gather together when the king comes back to try to keep him from coming back. And not one tank, one plane, one nuclear warhead can keep the king of kings and lord of lords from riding victoriously and putting his feet back down on this planet. My hope isn't in them. I'm not from this place. We talked about it last week. But if we don't wake up, we will be robbed of seeing his joy made complete here. Robbed of seeing people in pain find hope in him. Robbed of seeing the enemy lose territory to his kingdom. And we ultimately might end up, stay with me just for this moment, we might end up actually meeting him on that day with fear rather than unrestrained joy because you're not sure your life measured up. What a robbery Satan would take from you. Paul, in his prison cell, cries out, Maranatha, which simply means, come, Lord Jesus, come. He's saying, I didn't live a perfect life, but I'm living a life on purpose. And it's to bring glory to my king. So Jesus, whenever you want to come, just come on. Ephesians 5, 16 says this. We're going to end up with this. Redeem the time, for the days are evil. Redeem the time. Commandment from God. My people. My church. Jesus is saying, church. 21st century Christianity, wake up. Redeem the time. The days are evil. We, my friends, we will never redeem something we do not discern needs redemption. We will never redeem something we don't discern needs redemption. We will never bring healing into something that we don't discern is sick. We will never bring wholeness into something we do not discern is broken. We will not bring, we will not bring hope into something we have not discerned is downtrodden. Yes. Yes. How we see this world matters. The disciple says, how can I prepare my world? 
for the coming of my king. Are you ready? Can you honestly, with a good conscience, say, Jesus, come today? Because I've sown seeds into my friends. I've told co-workers about Jesus. I've helped send missionaries to foreign countries to proclaim the good news. I've forgiven those who've sinned against me. I love my neighbor as myself. If we can't say that, that's okay. Because today's the day to change. Yep. Today's the day to repent. Turn around. I'm going to take this opportunity right now in case someone is here or someone is listening to this who doesn't know Jesus yet. I want to take this opportunity to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. For God so loved you, 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 that he sent his son Jesus Christ on your behalf. Not because you're a horrible person, but because like all of us, you have sinned and the consequence of just one sin is eternal separation and death from God. In an act of love, Jesus took your sin onto himself. On the cross, he took your death. He took your hell. He didn't overlook it. He didn't simply bypass it. God poured out the wrath that was due you, the wrath that was mine. He poured it out on his only son, Jesus Christ. I can't even fathom that. And he proved his victory by raising Jesus from the dead on the third day to let the enemy know that he had no power. The power of death and hell and sin was broken forever. And through that gift, he offers you and I the free gift of eternal life. Free. You can't earn it. It's free. All you have to do is receive it today. The Bible simply says, if you'll be willing to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord of your life. Believe that everything he did on the cross and in the resurrection was enough. That not only will you be saved today, but that heaven is your home. That there's a transition moment now. That life changes. And he did it not so we could be good people. He did it because he loved you so much. He doesn't want to do life without you. He crafted you in your mama's belly. He counts every hair on your head. He has your name engraved on the palm of his hand. That's how badly he wants to be with you. It's not so that we could just have a heavenly seat. I'm not talking about fire insurance. I'm talking about receiving the gift of love from a God that loves you. He loves you. That's just the truth. So now you know. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to get to the Father is through him. Now you know. So whether I'm taken and you remain 
we're all here together, you will have hope because there's a seed planted inside of you called Jesus. I'm going to invite you today, if you're here today and have never given your heart to Jesus or maybe you find yourself far off from him, will you be willing to pray with me today? We're all going to pray. But why don't you just pray from the bottom of your heart? Discern the time. My God loves you. Discern the time. Jesus died for you. Discern the time. He is so passionate for you. He wants to spend eternity with you. Discern the time. If that's your decision today, will you pray this with me? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you my life. All that I am, all that I have, all that I ever will be, I willingly surrender to you. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive me for all of my sin, cleanse me of everything I've done wrong, fill me with your spirit, make me your child. And I promise you, from this day forward, I will live full on for Jesus Christ. I will not go back. I will not look back. I'm choosing today to live for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Lord God, thank you for lives that are changed today. Thank you for people coming to you in Jesus' name. Oh, my friends, that is the best moment in church, always for me. Because the Bible says when just one of you turns around and comes to him, all the angels start to party in heaven. What a great thing to bless God's house with. You know, we have a book that we want to give you if you made that decision today. We actually have two books. If you're uh, an adult, we have a book called The Surprise of Your Life. It's written by Pastor Rick Campano right over here. Pastor Rick, this is just going to help you learn how to navigate through what the commitment you made today. Let it get concrete inside of you so that it's not just an altar call moment. It's a life decision. If you happen to be a Gen Zer, Pastor Rick has a book called Letters to a Gen Zer. Helps you understand the gospel. Maybe you've already made that. If you're a Gen Zer in here, or a parent of a Gen Zer, maybe you've already made that decision. Can I encourage you? Pick one up and sow one into a friend's life. Talk to one of your friends. I just told you there were two books that I've read that are awesome. I stood up here and told you that. Can you take one book and go to a friend and say, man, this book's awesome. It's free. Take it and read it. Maybe they don't. Maybe they slide it underneath that wobbly leg on that coffee table. But I can't tell you the number of times I've heard testimonies about that Bible that was under that leg or that book that was under that table leg that at just the right time of life and at just the right circumstance, that person reached down and picked it up and the seed was there. The seed was there. Whether you're there or not, the seed is there. Whether I stay here or I go home, the seed is here. Plant a seed. Plant a seed. Plant a seed. 
plant a seed, plant a seed, plant a seed, plant a seed. Don't be taken unaware. I've said enough today. I love you, church. I love you so much. We're going to continue to worship in just a second, but I'm going to ask Sharon Smith, our CFO, to come on up. She's, can you welcome Sharon really quickly? Just going to continue to worship by giving up our offering today. Woo! Good morning. So, giving financially to God is a very spiritual act. And one of those pieces is it's an act of worship and trust. And in light of everything Pastor Kyle preached about this morning, and in light of all the uncertainty in our world today, we have an opportunity to take that love and trust to an even greater level by continuing to tithe. Even though our default might be to experience some fear and pull back on finance. Um, so I just encourage you to press in to that greater level of love and trust this morning. Um, Colossians says, set your heart and mind on things above, not on earthly things. So let's invest in eternal things together this morning. And there's various ways you can do that. We have kiosks, we have envelopes, we have CCV, we have a QBR code. And about that QBR code, I meant, we wanna tell you that you can actually use that also to purchase the 40 day uh, book on Amazon. So you can do that, I just wanna mention that too. Um, so, Thank you, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pray now. Lord, I pray for unity. I pray for a renewed sense of ownership to support the church financially, Lord, so that we continue to move forward in your purposes. And I thank you for all our givers, and may you just continue to bless and prosper them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Share a hand really quick. Oh, so good. Guys, you know, the truth is, I know we talk, we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, the middle build that's coming uh, and making some building adjustments, bringing in the kitchen here, bringing TKC's uh, headquarters here so that we can continue. Do you realize we're doing that? We have a great part of why we're doing that is we've been training ourselves for four years how to feed people who are hungry. And we just learned in the last two years how to feed people in the midst when there's so much lack. Yeah. God's preparing this church for something. Yeah. So good. But I just want to let you know, we've, we've, we've actually had to cut back. We've actually, in wisdom, cut back certain things that we wanted to build. Because the truth is that we are living in a world where finances are questionable. Where money is uncertain. Where certainly the income of this church has changed over the last few years. We're able to do some of the things that we're able to do, not because we're giving now, but because others have given before. They have planted a seed so that you can harvest. So when you hear those things, don't hear like, oh, we've got so much. No, no, no. We are stewarding what God has given us and adjusting in wisdom to steward it so that we can actually.
We're just going to stand. Can we just stand? I'm going to, we're going to. My prayer for you today. No. Thanks, buddy. Uh, here we go. I'll just stand over here. I think I got a good spot. Pastor John let us know too, and I, I forgot to mention it earlier this week, but on our on our playlist on Apple, our Apple playlist, we have uh, a whole um, playlist of celebrating Black History Month, and there's amazing songs. I keep forgetting to say it. such amazing songs. Just oh, just does does your heart great to worship. We're going to worship one last time before we go. And I hope after today's message, this worship changes. We started out singing, you keep hope alive. And the truth is, we're going to sing that again. But maybe, just maybe, from a different perspective. You keep hope alive alive because Jesus you are alive we need to work until he comes come on let's worship him
the God of hope, may the spirit of peace, may the Son that rose again and is seated at the right hand of God, Father Almighty, go with you and order your footsteps. May his spirit empower you with signs and wonders wherever you go. May the eyes of your heart be opened, your mind be enlightened, your soul be surrendered, and your spirit be willing as you redeem the time, as you discern the season, because our King is coming back. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you. We'll see you next week. Redeem the time. Hallelujah.